This episode is in loving memory of Quentin Kinahan. It is comprised of clips of Quentin from my interview and others. The episode has been a labor of love and pain remembering my pal, Quentin. Quentin was born February 27, 1975, in Box Hill, Victoria, Australia. In an early interview during Quentin's childhood, his mother had very low expectations seeing this. What were your expectations for Quentin? Very low. We had been told that if Quentin survived the first year, he would spend the rest of his life flat on his back. Like most children with osteogenesis imperfecta, he had a difficult childhood with many surgeries. His mother again saying this. To perform several surgical operations which will involve the insertion of a steel rod into Quentin's femurs or upper leg bones. The lower legs he will deal, deal with manually, whereby he will actually break the bones to straighten the deformity that Quentin has in his legs. Now, this procedure can be done in Australia, and it has helped many Australian osteogenesis imperfective patients to stand and walk. But what is not available in Australia is the follow-up, which is the moulded, free-form, plastic braces that will be fitted to Quentin's legs after his legs have been straightened by the surgeon. So once it's all done, assuming it's successful, what does it mean he can do? Well, it does mean that Quentin, we hope, will be able to stand up. Now, this mightn't mean very much, but it means that he will be able to get from his wheelchair to a motor car, which means that he will be able to work independently and not have to be transported places by, by other people. I get the impression that Quentin had a rocky relationship with his parents throughout his life. What were huge scars of pain from his parents healed over time. This is what he said during an interview with Australia's Channel 7. Quentin says he was dumped by his parents into an Adelaide home for disabled children. He hated the place. Um, when you go to hospital with a broken arm, neither your dad or mum go to visit you. Yeah, I know, it's right. It was but that's them and they've got to wear that but I forgive them for it. I'm still just a kid that was dumped in an institution. Was it Yes. Was I happy about it? No. Was I angry for many years about it? Yes. I was angry at myself for being expelled from high school. I was angry at myself because I'd had to bail out my family financially. I was angry because... Hang on, you hadn't... Your father, in fact, had defrauded you. Your father had taken money out of your account. Yeah. You hadn't let your family down. They'd taken your money. Yeah, but I still had to bail them out. In an interview with me several years later, Quentin said this about his relationship with his parents. Yeah, pretty good. It got sort of tense during the teenage years, as they usually do. Um, but I had a good upbringing. My parents made the smart decision not to let me, not to wrap me up in cotton wool. You know, they didn't say, oh, he's, because he's got his disability, he can't do this or he can't do that. They had the mindset of he can go and do anything he wants and if he falls and cracks his head open, then that's what happens. We're not going to stop him from doing anything he wants to do. Um, I felt that was a really good decision on their part. They were safe, but, you know, didn't let me do stupid things. But at the same time, they didn't hold me back from trying to 
do the things I want and play in the way that other kids played. And um, it's something that I thank them to this day for. During our interview, Quentin spoke positively about his time in school, saying this. Primary school was great. So I went to a very multicultural school where there was many different cultures. It was an inclusive school, so there were both uh, children with disabilities and uh, able-bodied children as well. It was sort of like a mixture. We weren't in special classes. We were all mixed in with each other, and it was great. Whereas when I went to high school, my parents decided that they wanted me to go to some hoity-toity college, which um, was very different for me. I didn't enjoy it. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends. I found it very difficult, and I left uh, uh, in senior year. So I never actually graduated. Don't have my G, what we, you would call your GED. But I still went to college. By the time Quentin was out of school, he was ready to tell his story his way, saying this. As a kid, I was made famous as a very young child, and I had, you know, people moulding my image and telling me what to do and telling me what to say and how to say it. It gets quite tiresome and boring after a while. You're saying the same damn thing and reflecting other people's viewpoint of who they think you are. And um, I really struggled with it. But when I got to about 20, 21, I decided I'd had enough of it and um, thought about how I could change my my image. And it was really about taking control of it and reinventing myself. I asked Quentin what drew him to studying liberal arts in college. And he said this. I've always been a bit of a storyteller. I love st- telling stories. I love that. When I was a kid, the only thing I could do in a hospital was um, watch movies. And movies would take me away to any place I wanted to go. So I thought, what if I could do that for someone else? What if I could make a movie and take them out of all the, the bad things in their world, you know, and take them to another place and teach them something or entertain them or make them think or inspire them or whatever seemed pretty noble at the point at the at the time (laughs) quentin then went on to start a series on australian tv called quentin crashes he said this about it and then i created a tv series called quentin crashes where a person with a disability tries to get tries to get invited to the world's most elite parties so, you know, I tried to go to the Academy Awards and uninvited and the Big Brother house uninvited and your version of American Idol and the World Music Awards. So we made this whole series on how far I would get uninvited. I asked Quentin, when did you decide you wanted to be in front of the camera instead of behind it? He said this. That was really early on, man. That was really early on. Like back in high school, I'd tried to do drama and I had this drama teacher that told me that I would never do anything in the film and television world, that I was untalented and and that I was awful at what I did. And I was so de- determined to prove this woman wrong 
but it just stuck in my mind and it was a, a bit of happy revenge when I was in Mad Max. So I could just see her watching it and going, you know, I told that that kid he'd never be anything and now look at him. You know, I was a bit of an angry actor because I wanted to – I'm always out there to try and prove other people wrong. You know, you probably know what I mean. People say you can't do something and immediately that puts a bug in your bonnet, you know, and you've just got to be able to prove them wrong. And this woman telling me that I was a bad actor or that I'd never make it in this world, just it, it lit a fuel under me, you know, and made me realise that, you know, I can – if I stick my mind at something, if you, if, you, if you challenge yourself, you can do anything this world you set your mind to. And then I asked Quentin about playing Corpus Colossus in Mad Max Fury Road. He was very eager to talk about it, and he said this. That was the most hardest, most fun job I've ever had in my entire life. You know, as, as an actor and a filmmaker, you always want to be able to get that big break and get that big, you know, that big one off your chest. And I'd acted in about three or four other movies that were smaller budgets and I'd auditioned for Mad Max and I never thought in my wildest dreams that I'd get it, but I did and it was the hardest job, but you work really hard. Like we worked really hard for two and a half weeks to get, you know, um, a a minute and a half's worth of footage, but it was so much fun, man. You know, you're dealing with big budgets, big cameras, big cast, big crew, and they're all there to help you get your lines and get what you need to do out. And the director, George Miller, was such a visionary. You know, there'd be 100 people in the room and he'd just take time out to talk to you on how to say your lines and how to understand what you're saying and give you the right motivation to give a great performance and it was so weird because my character was initially going to get killed off and so we we filmed this scene where this woman slits my throat and I die and I wasn't meant to come back but the director George Miller said you know what this is he's doing a too good a job we can't kill him I want him back for the sequel so they rewrote an entire ending with me um, and told me to come back the next day and shoot a different ending, and that's what we did. And so if there's ever a sequel, I'm signed up for it. I don't know about you, but it hurts tremendously knowing that Quentin's not going to be in the next one. I then asked Quentin about the casting process of Matt Max for your road, and he said this. The casting process was go in there, do a piece from When Harry Met Sally. Really? <laughs> yeah, they gave me a piece from When Harry Met Sally. So I had to be Harry and the girl behind the camera was Sally and I did this whole big piece about how I loved Sally. Um, I don't remember it now, but I remember I had a really bad American accent going. Um, I was was trying to do this Californian accent and it just did not come off very well. And so I waited 18 months, 18 months I waited, and then I finally get this phone call 
from George Miller saying, hey, what are you, what are you doing next week? And I just said, I don't know. He said, well, I think you're going to come and act in Mad Max with me. I asked Quentin what he considered his greatest accomplishment. He said this. Being in Mad Max, it was the biggest dream I'd ever had in my life. And it's something that came true. And I never thought it would, and it did, and it lived up to the moment. I asked Quentin, what brings you joy? Life. Life brings me joy, you know. I I don't I used to take life for granted and I don't anymore. I realize that my friends and my family they give me the greatest joy in the whole world. On October sixth, twenty eighteen, Quentin Kenahan was found dead in his home in Adelaide, South Australia. He was just forty three years old. Several news outlets have reported that Quentin had an asthma attack and was unable to breathe. To the best of my knowledge, this is unconfirmed by anyone close to him. I hope you found a small piece of what made Quentin so special in this episode. You can find links to the original episode and sources for this episode at abilitypodcast.com forward slash Q. If you want to hear more from Quentin, in his own words, you can read his book, Not All Superheroes Wear Capes, wherever fine books are sold. I am so very lucky that I got to talk to Quentin that day. He was so very generous with his time. I would also like to thank his manager, Abby Edwards, for putting us together. When I make this podcast, I often get people who say, yes, sure, I'll be on your podcast. And then I never hear from them again. But Quentin was there on time, ready to go. And I was so thrilled. And I'm so happy that I got the chance to meet him. I will leave you with this final word from Quentin. And I'll see you next time. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates? I told you so. You know, I'm I'm not a very religious person. I always think, you know, if God exists, then why did he make me like this? Why did he make us like this? So I always still suffer with a bit of anger over it. See you next time, pal.